something outside. What is that? This is Gunnar Monson. Along with me today is Mr. Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? I'm doing well, Gunnar. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. The the weather is still nasty, even you know getting back here to Oregon after spending the weekend up in the beautiful Olympic Peninsula. We did experience a little bit of rain there. Yeah, just a little bit. It's absolutely <laughs> bucketing right now. <laughs> For uh, the folks that have listened to Monster X in the past, you got to know about the Olympic Project's ongoing study of these most unusual ground nests that were found in, up in Washington State. This project's been going on more than two years now, and we took the opportunity this weekend to go revisit the site. It's, it's interesting because if you go and look at pictures of what the nests look like um, two years ago and where they are now, you can see that the forest is in the process of reclaiming that area, the area where in the, the past you could look across and see where it had been decimated. The huckleberry up there had been snapped off in, in an entire ridge line and several nests built. What is that number now, Shane? We, I know in the original nest site, it, what is it, eight? In the original, it's eight, yes. A total of 21 with a possibility of a few more nests that have just, over time, we just don't recognize. But 21 definite nests over these over these multiple fingers, eight in the original site find in one of our main study areas, yeah. So one of the, the cool things is that we were, some fresh eyes came with the Chennai. Shane's been out to the site multiple times now. And like I said, the Olympic Project is, has been studying this area. This last summer, Dr. Jeff Meldrum was up there, and core samples of these nests were taken And the, with the idea that they will now be put through the process of having them analyzed through the new, newest. It's newish. It's, it's now just really being implemented with a wider scope, but using this environmental DNA or eDNA. And two of the folks that went with us this weekend were Chris Spencer and Rebecca Slick. They're with us today to to share their experience up there and chat with us about what they think and their their insights. Let's get them on the line. Hey, Chris and Rebecca, how are you guys? Um, Hi, Gunnar. Hi, Shane. Yeah, have you guys recovered from the hike? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to recover from... (laughs) Trying to recover from work in the rain today, though. Yeah, it's, it had the weather has not been really conducive to getting out. 
we were going to actually go out and, and camp in the area Saturday night, and they were predicting 50 and 60 mile an hour winds, which is not necessarily where you want to be out in the woods when you're having that kind of high winds, tree fall over. And, and I, we had some exciting times as it was. We'll get into that later. But Chris is a regular contributor on Monster X and has been on the show a number of times. He's an active researcher up in Washington State. Rebecca is also an active researcher. Tell us a little bit about your the weekend. What was your, you know, what did you hope going in to, to see and, and did you, what was your impressions of the, the nest site and the terrain around yeah, it? Well, yeah, start, start okay. with Chris here and then we'll, and then we'll get to Rebecca. Well, for me, it's I, you know, ever since the OP released their findings and the pictures and the presentations, I've always wanted to see the area and what it looked like. And I, I can honestly say everything that Derek Randall discusses in the presentation is absolutely correct. It's a daunting area. It's not a place where human beings are going to just go for a casual hike. And it's a, it's pretty incredible that this timber worker stumbled upon these nests because they were they were where no people have any business going and that for me is what i would expect our the target subjects to be doing when they when they bed down they're going to take take a position where they feel safe and they're not going to have to worry about bumbling humans on coming into them so and it's definitely that it's just going into the primary site, I cannot believe how thick it is. I know Derek's mentioned how thick it is every presentation. We were literally crawling and, you know, it wasn't really walking. It was stumbling through a jungle. So it was impressive. It's, I don't know that I hoped for anything. I was just excited to see it. And on upon seeing it, I am, I'm like, I'm very impressed. That's all I can say. <laughs> very impressed. Yeah. And the location of the creek to this ridge line of these fingers and all these nests are are located right at that edge where if anything is up on these ridge lines, they can if something's walking down through the creek and honestly that creek area would be where I'd expect most of the animals to be moving anyways, using that as a highway because that huckleberry is just impenetrable. So it's just a great position, whether you're waiting for salmon to come up the creek or a deer to come walking down to the area. It's there. It's I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited, a little in awe, honestly. So, mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, Rebecca, what was your impressions? You know, uh, there's there's only been a few females out to this area, and I got a respect for every single one of them. And having you out there was a pleasure because you're you're just like Chris and the gang. You guys can hike like no get out. But what was your impression? (laughs) You're welcome. What was your impression of the terrain, getting into and out of these areas, and what was your impression, your initial impression coming across? You know, seeing these nests, of course years later and things are starting to grow back. But what was your initial impression and your thoughts on the area in general? Well, I had originally that was one of the things that I was really excited to see was the terrain because everyone had said how difficult it was. And, boy, after being there, 
it's no joke. It was pretty treacherous in uh, quite a few areas there. I have no trouble believing that something could be hiding in there, definitely, because we were the only fools crazy enough to go in there. Um, I know <laughs> everything else just, and everybody else just stays out of something that thick. We were crawling under things and over things, and I don't know about anybody else. I was counting bruises earlier, but <laughs> it's pretty treacherous. I was just amazed at the, the food sources, though, even in an area that thick, just how many berries and how many edible plants and mushrooms, and just just there's still an abundance in there that most people don't think of unless you're in there mm-hmm. and surrounded by it. It was pretty fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, what were your, you know, like I said, you, you didn't get to see the, the nest uh, as some of the other OP members or the original crew that went in there and saw them, but what were your thoughts on the nest? I mean, was there, did it did it uh, look interesting? I mean, were you impressed, uh, not so impressed? Uh, you know, uh, what were your thoughts just on, on the nest themselves, the ones that you got to see? You didn't get to see them all, but you got to see quite a few. Oh, yeah. The the ones that I had seen, I mean, they, gosh, <laughs> things looked woven. The branches that were so thick that had been twisted off, they weren't just knocked down by something just pawing at an area. It, it was pretty substantial sized branches <laughs> that were broken <clears throat> off. And there was so much purpose put into it. I, I don't even think I would have had the the patience to put something together like that, even just for a little survival <laughs> nest thing. It mm-hmm. was pretty impressive to see that many of them and, and how much effort went into them. Yeah, and, and it was really it was really awesome because I got to bring uh, two friends out out to this area, um, to that you know you guys get out in the field a lot, and so it's not just a fresh set of eyes, but also a different set of eyes in the fact that you know Rebecca, you're very keen and adamant about paying attention to the, the fauna and, and the food sources and whatnot, and you're very familiar with a lot of that stuff, and you got to see that and recognize that, and then uh, you know Chris, back to you though. You know, you do a ton of hiking. You got your own research areas, and and you, I, I wanted really to bring you out there because I know you, you've seen a lot, and you've been around a while, and you've been around a lot of natural or known animals, bear and elk and deer and whatnot. Um, I mean, how did how did this does this compare to any of your research areas? And and uh, have you ever come across anything similar to the the nesting area itself? Um, well, honestly, no, there's, there's not, uh, in my main area, it's different fauna, higher elevation, but it gave me some ideas of where places near my area where I want to investigate now. I, you know, I've seen, we, we kind of talked about it. I, I've found could be you know, lay down areas or whatever, but nothing to this extent. This is like Rebecca said, these nests, a lot of effort went into making them. They weren't just a known animal bunching up underbrush to create a, a nest to uh, get out of the elements or anything like that. These were like extensive. And even though, it, you know, so much time has gone by and you could see how things have, the forest is starting to take over, and uh, I think, like I, I said while I was up there, you know, in a couple of years, you're not going to even know these things are were there, but we could mm-hmm. still see 
the amount of damage done around on the huckleberries and the, the the twist breaks and stuff and it's just i honestly i've never seen anything like it it's it's impressive and for me it's it was great to get out there and see it cuz now I can apply that when I go into other areas because I'm branching out and going into different areas and now have kind of something to go off of and look for, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, that, that makes great sense. And that was one of the – because you're, you're, you got some really fantastic areas that you research and some of the, some of the places that we've jointly gone into, uh, I, one of the goals was to – well, one of the goals of the Leonard Project is to replicate this find, replicate it, you know, by finding more nests. And uh, I like to, for um, for certain researchers, you know, I like to get them in the field and say, hey, you know, take a look at this. See, see, in your areas, there's something that sticks out, something that might trigger something and, and possibly put you into a find of this nature, you know. And definitely, you're one of those guys, Chris, and, and of course, Rebecca. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, I think, is, is so true is people go, well, if Sasquatch makes nests, how come we're not finding more of them? And one of the things you, you pointed out was, and we've pointed out time and time again, is that, you know, regardless if Sasquatch is making these nests or not, you know, even though there's a lot of devastation, and, and that's where my finger points, you got this regrowth of plant life, you know, everything grows back and, and nature takes over, you know, and so, you know, there could be more uh, nests out there that have been used and, and built and constructed, but yet, you know, given time and given the location and how hard you get to these areas, no one's going to come across them in their prime. And then if they do, for whatever reason, which doesn't happen often, I don't believe, do happen to stumble upon something like this, they may not recognize it because nature's taken its course. And, and, and you know, maybe if Sasquatch is making these nests and they're used for specific purposes, Maybe they come back every so many years, uh, and this is hypothesizing, but maybe they come back every so many years after the natural resources have grown back because I don't think an animal of that size, uh, whether it's a group or individuals, is going to stay around one area that long, long enough you know, for it to grow back. They're going to want fresh food resources, and they're going to want cover. And if you hang around in one spot too long, you're probably going to be discovered. I and mean, what, do you, what do you think about that, Chris? No, I, I absolutely agree, and uh, I I really enjoy this week. Me and Gunnar got to discuss hypotheses on what's going on with the area, and I, you know, just my personal opinion, I, I think this was a, this area was used for a specific purpose, and it probably won't, won't be revisited until things have regrown. It, it It's it's really hard. I all I you know, I'm very thankful that you, you guys let me see this because what those what it took to make those nests, the amount of devastation around there, it was obviously used for a little bit longer period than you would expect, but then once it was done, whoever did it was gone and moving on. There's a reason it happened and I don't I don't think I don't think it was just an an overnight thing. I think there's more to it than that. It it and like you said, I I tend to believe that I always say the target species they're on the move a lot and they might settle into an area for 
a number of weeks. But I don't think they settle in an area permanently for that long. These nests were, were made to last for several weeks. And there's a reason behind that. We don't know what that reason is, but we can hypothesize all we want, you know, and until, like you said, you know, more are found. And what's great about this site is that there's certain things, like you were pointing out certain little things that you guys have noticed while you've researched this and the location of the nest. Well, we can now take those things and apply them to different areas, and we know just a little bit more of where to look for possibly more in totally different places, you know, and that's my hope. I, you know, a lot of the areas that I've, I've been getting out into some different areas now, and I got ideas now of other places to look and maybe find something similar, hopefully. But I don't think these, I don't think these nests were just a, a short term thing. These, these were a little more long term. And, you know, I, me and Gunnar kind of discussed it. Maybe there was a birthing time, and if these are great apes, they had to settle down for a little bit longer. And as we know, with gorillas and even humans, our, we don't uh, have kids every year like other animals, so it might be several years down the road before they need to do that again. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and that's interesting is that this this project, this area, seem to be like the perfect storm of, I mean, you had you had an experienced timber cruiser that happened to be out in an area that hadn't been logged in 50 years. And not only that, it's behind locked gates. It's very, very hard to get in there accessible. It's not, you know, it's not even an area that if somebody was out hiking behind closed gates, they would, that you'd likely wander into. And it's, you know, the, the rocks that were found that that are scored on the bottom on one particular nest there, they most resemble uh, the nests that gorillas make, including what appeared to be a practice nest in a in a bush that that is something that gorillas do with their young. That's I mean the the idea to me that if if it is tied to birth that that would be an infrequent, that would make this an infrequent event. And would they necessarily go back to the same location? You know, and maybe they do because that is such a perfect location to, to, uh, for food and, and defense. And it just such a, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, where, because I always like, why would they, why would these animals that are, are pretty elusive and, and reclusive, do something that that would leave sign like that. Well, they don't. You know, the likelihood of that being found is is extremely low in the location that it is, and it isn't an isolated incident. That there are there have been other nests found, but not in, not nearly in this quantity. The I've I've heard of single nests being found. Never have there been, you know, twenty one nests found in in a, this kind of close proximity. However, we also we all discussed this weekend was that what would somebody do that wasn't you know a layman? If you're just out hiking, you find what something that looks like this. You got to have somebody who has knows what to do with it. 
one of the other factors of this was this timber cruiser knew Derek Randall's, and when he found him, it freaked him out. So he actually contacted Derek, knowing Derek's interest in in the subject. So it, I mean, it was like the perfect storm that this happened. And to me, one of the really compelling things about this ongoing investigation is is not a single that it's not a single piece of evidence. You have the nest, you have the the way they're constructed, the way that the huckleberry and materials were gathered and brought to these areas and interwoven, and the rocks that were, happened to be there and looked appeared to be scored. There was actually feces in in the nest when they were originally found, you know, and they were found within a reasonable time proximity of when they had been used. Since then, with a lot of due diligence, hairs have been pulled out of them that do not, you know, you, there there have been hairs that have been analyzed and come back as, as all the animals that you would expect to be. And then there's hairs in there that do not match any known animals. Being compared to a bit database of, of hairs that are associated with Bigfoot incidents. So somebody saw Bigfoot and some hair was gathered in that in in that context. It's not just random hair that was found. So now there's, you know, you kind of have this database of comparison for that and, and these hairs match up with with this unknown hair that has been gathered and associated with other Bigfoot incidents. You know, it, it it doesn't if people bear biologists have been out there and they they determine that it's not bear nest. And if you look at them, they do not look like any bear nest I've ever seen. No, yeah. no, and no, not or, at all. Or or, or wood rats, um, and and just the sheer <laughs> mass of these these nests. Um, it's just fascinating. What and now science has kind of caught up with the project. And this environmental DNA has the potential to come back with an answer of, it, we're going to see what, what was in those tests. I know that, that um, Shane took a core sample, uh, took another sample with him, and has been from one of the nests that had not been um, touched before. And Shane, any luck with that? Yeah, it, I wouldn't say it was a, a core sample. What I took was just uh, some of the outlying and inner debris from the nest, what, what the nest was constructed of, mainly huckleberry and, you know, from large branches to small branches. And, and the way these nests seem to work is it's mostly the smaller stuff up top, and it gets larger as you get down to the lower part of the nest. And I, I, I did take, uh, and, and Chris and Rebecca took small samples as well. I took quite a large sample, and I've been going through that. And fortunately, uh, I'm finding loads of hair, and I'm finding the hair that, personally, I believe is, is uh, well, it falls in line with some of the stuff that's been a- uh, visually analyzed in that unknown hair category, and it very much represents that. And I'm getting loads of it. That particular nest had not been sampled from. Nothing had been taken from that nest. No one had really fondled that nest or looked at it. I mean, got close too close to it. So managed to get a lot of debris from that nest and I'm finding loads of hair and it's it's the same from the top to the bottom and it's it there's just loads of it and it you know it's the sort of hair that it's long you know a lot of this hair is 
anywhere from a half inch to, to almost two inches in length. Some of it's um, a little straighter, a lot of other portions of the hair are curly, and a lot of it has almost like a red kind of tinge of hue to it, auburn looking uh, when you view it closely. And uh, it's very much not just laying on these branches, it's very much entwined. So whatever had nestled into that nest had buried some of its hair in there by nestling in the nest. I mean, it, you have to sometimes unwind it around one of the branches, sometimes you have to pull it. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. So I'm very excited about the amount of hair. I've only, you know, I've got many, many more nests that I can sample from and then have, you know, at least visually analyzed through Cindy Dosen and possibly some other individuals down the road here. So the hair is, is extraordinary, and it's it's abundant, even two and a half years later. And, of course, you're going to get some of the known stuff because the wind blows, critters come through there. We always get the, the usual suspects, you know, your raccoon. You do get some canine like coyote. Martin, you know, you get your martin in there and whatnot, deer. And those really kind of stick out as obvious hairs. I mean, I can almost call them myself. It's the, the ones that are really um, nestled in, and it takes a bit of work to pull out of these huckleberry branches, a lot of times on the tip, a lot of times all throughout the branch. And, and sometimes it's the really fine branches. Sometimes it's a real thick huckleberry. It's prevalent throughout the whole all of these nests. And so, yes, I've been I've been fortunate that this particular time around, it's it's um, it's there's a lot of hair to be found, and I'm collecting that now. And so I'm excited about that. But one of the things I want to talk real quick was it, uh, something you had mentioned, Gunner, was the perfect storm. It's it's a word I like to use because I think. And, and we'll get to Chris and Rebecca on this, but the perfect storm. And I really think that's what we're seeing here in the this nest study area is the perfect storm. We have a, abundant amount of natural resources for food. You know, you got the different berries, the huckleberry. You have the creek down below that seasonally is full of salmon and contains fish throughout the year. You have the, the, the cover one of the things I wanted to bring up, you know, we had talked about on the show about these tree, what we uh, originally thought were tree nests, and Chris and Rebecca got to view uh, one of these, and they turned out we had Derek Randalls had uh, hired a professional tree climber, and he climbed, you know, 90, well, 100 feet in the tree actually, and looked at one of these tree structures and what we thought may be a nest. There's two of them in this area, and two different fingers. And when this climber went up there, he had not really seen anything like it, but yet having taken video and pictures and brought down a good sample for us, after much research, I, I figured, figured it out to be what they call witch's broom. And it's uh, something that can grow naturally. It can be, um, it's almost like a fungus. It could be a bacteria. It's something that if an animal or a human damages a tree, that can it can start to grow. It's like stunted growth, and the way I, I'll describe it is, it looks like cauliflower, or Brussels sprouts, or you know, it, it's it's very much stunted pine growth. Uh, one of the things that this climber uh, videoed and noticed was that there was burrows going into this structure, and it's massive. You know, it's it's over you know six feet across, and uh, I can't rule out that. You know, the, the thing that sticks out in my head is that there's two of these things in this area, and they're both in close proximity to the nest sites. In fact, one of them is directly above a nest. And 
in my hypothesizing and thinking about this, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, Sasquatch didn't make these things. Did they make something? Did they damage a tree and then it grew? I don't know. But one of the things that stood out to me was that there were some claw marks going up the tree as if something was pursuing or chasing something up the tree. And uh, it could have been a bear or cougar, who knows. But these nests are in close proximity to these tree structures. And as another food source, we already know that raccoons live in this area and that raccoons will uh, use these sort of structures. Uh, one, in one of the nests that I had t- tested originally for hair, I sent hair off to Cindy Dose, and she came back and said, hey, you got raccoon hair. But it's raccoon. Uh, it was a dead raccoon. We can tell by looking at the hair that um, this hair, you know, uh, when it reached the nest was uh, post-mortem. Maybe it was dead. This animal was dead. So I have to wonder, as an- another food source, and maybe a, as a thought going through a, a predator, Hey, I have huckleberry, I have fish down below, I have cover, I have deer in this area, rabbits, you name it, and now I'm going to park my butt next to a tree and wait for whatever's up there to come down, and there's an easy meal. And we have found dead raccoon hair in one of the nests. So, I, you know, just hypothesizing, I think it's just interesting that everywhere we've looked, everywhere we've hiked, we've not found any more of these odd tree structures. And, uh, Chris, I know you've got to... to see one of these and it was massive it doesn't the pictures don't do it justice you have to actually stand underneath the tree and look up yeah uh that's you know i've seen the pictures in the presentation um and until you're standing underneath it it is freaking huge i have seen these anomalies before like you said it's it's basically when a tree gets damaged in a certain way and whether it's bacteria or fungus it causes the tree to regrow this anomaly. Um, I think like I told you when I looked at the pictures that the, your tree climber took, it looked like someone bonsai'd it. But it was massive. I mean, it was big, the, probably the biggest anomaly in a tree I've ever seen. And uh, that's from standing on the ground looking up. It was really unusual. Uh, the burrows... I saw the whole tree burrows. I absolutely think raccoons were using that because that was a that would have been a perfect spot for a raccoon to get up. And so, yeah, it was. That's what I was really excited about that part of getting in there and learning about what you've learned about that particular anomaly, and then seeing it. It's uh, it's unusual. It's not. It's yeah. not a it's not something you see every day. And the fact that, like you said, it's in conjunction where some of the, the nests are located, you know, it's, we don't know, but it's, it's an unusual hypothesis. And I, I, I agree with you. There's something to it. I think it is connected to the nest in some way or another, but yeah, that, that original anomaly near the, at the primary site, Seeing it in person from the ground, people—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's huge. It's—it's—I've never seen anything like it. And I'm not—you know—who's to say there might be more out there that no one's ever seen? But it's really—it's cool. I'm just gonna say it's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and to go along with the perfect storms, you know, I want to explain that a little bit more. You know, uh, by perfect storm, I'm also throwing this out there that 
that goes not just with the area but with the subject. I, I do. I my gut feeling tells me, um, having seen the different sized nests, how in close proximity they are to another, especially in the primary nest site. Uh, you know, and the devastation. Um, this wasn't done in a day or two. I mean, it was it was built for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, by perfect storm, I also mean that it was. You know, my gut feeling tells me it was some sort of almost like nursery, somewhere where something you give birth have uh, enough cover that nothing's sneaking in. That if it needs to take off real quickly, you can dive off this steep cliff and disappear. And but yet have all the natural resources there to stay for a while and give birth, and that's just my gut feeling. The perfect storm is this uh, what the subject was up to, you know, coming into this area, maybe what they were looking for or it was looking for, and then of course this area where you know nobody's going into this area. There's not going to be you're not going to hunt this area, you're not going to hike this area, you're not going to. Chances are you're not going to wander into this area unless you're like what the, the you know this timber. Um, company agent it was had to be in there i mean he that was his job he had to go mark the timber line in there that had been logged in 50 years yep. and that falls into line with historically speaking as i've talked about on the show before some of the other possible nest finds on vancouver island prince of wales and uh, some of these other uh, um scorpion creek well, above bluff creek in 19 <laughs> well yeah in 1967 and these were nests discovered by those involved with timber and timber companies or timber management and uh, they they're paid and it's their job to go into these areas and so that to me uh, says a lot and once again we have this nest study area that the the limb project didn't find i mean it's not an area i would imagine us going into unless we were drawn to the area through someone else and exactly the scenario that that transpired this guy was paid to go into this area because that was his job, and he'd been doing it for, you know, 30-plus years and never seen anything like this. And that, to me, is mind-boggling. And then you get, um, you know, with the initial nest study site, we had, you know, they brought in other individuals that worked for the, the, the company, and they had never seen anything like this. And we're talking about, like, 200 years of woodsman experience, both hunters, timber agents, and none of them had seen anything like this. And they recognized that this was something unique, you know. And fortunately, fortunately, one of them, you know, knew Derek Randalls and that uh, he, he may be interested in this. And uh, that's where we're at now. So that's extraordinary because I and, – and, and unprecedented. I mean, I don't know you guys, but I don't know uh, of any scenario like this ever happening, you know, even with some of these other possible – nests that were found throughout history, um, they, they usually were, you know, passed off as this or that or never really thoroughly studied. And once, you know, not a, a Bigfoot researcher or science was really had anything to do with this, and we have combined both, both science and researcher in this, um, including, um, your, you know, yourself, Chris, and Rebecca, and, 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 a, and a few others. And that's extraordinary. And I think that's where we're making headway. Um, with this, uh, and hopefully something will come of this environmental DNA, and hopefully uh, having other individuals out there, uh, boots on the ground, and eyes on site, that we can replicate this somewhere else. Uh, you know, it's going to be a difficult task, but I think it can happen. Uh, what do you think, Gunnar? Do you think it's possible? Oh yeah. Now, now you have kind of uh, a template of an area that 
previously unprecedented that any, you know, we, we've been saying that one of the interesting aspects is that the Olympic project could have ran to, you know, Facebook and posted this up and, and said, and announced to be, you know, Bigfoot, we found Bigfoot nest, but there's been a very cautious approach to the, the research of this area. Um, and now there is a, you have a template to go look at other areas for similar. It, you know, we talk about the needle in the haystack and the needles moving. Well, the best we can hope for in, in narrowing down the search is, is to create predictability. And so now we have a, a template to go look for something that can be repeated like this. Go find an area that hasn't, that has limited access, hasn't been, you know, had human intervention in, in a long period of time that is hard to get in and out of. I mean, there's, that makes it a lot more, less challenging, though the area itself is, is a challenge to get in and out of. One of the things that's interesting to me is this, this gentleman that, that stumbled upon these nests and didn't find, he, he did not find all 21 nests initially. In fact, I think initially he, he saw five of them. And then, you know, is that mm. correct, Shane? And then the Olympic yeah, Project it was, members. Yeah, between three and five, yeah. Right. So the Olympic Project members discovered more just in that area and then through uh, arduous study and, and examining the area, going out and hiking um, more a total of 21 nests that are look all identical in construction were discovered. One of the things that, that occurred to me just in the conversation today is like this, this gentleman that worked for the timber company must have had like, it's interesting that he went to Derek who, you know, he knew was interested in the subject of Bigfoot. So did that come up in his mind? Was that discussion ever – has he ever mentioned that as why he contacted a Bigfoot researcher? Uh, no. You know, I mean, it has, um, but what, what I get out of it all is that this guy just recognized that this w didn't seem to be um, any sort of known behavior that he's ever witnessed. This is a guy that has uh, seen bear beds, elk bed, uh, deer beds, I mean – every sort of bed out there um and in eagles nests and everything which are in trees but he's come across every he's run into bears in the woods he's run into everything he's doing 30 plus years in washington state he's seen it all and he came across this and he just flabbergasted and blew his mind and kind of freaked him out and in running run through his mind was well i don't know what could have done this maybe Derek randalls has seen something similar because he's, uh, you know, Derek and, and, and James Milling were the original guys to go out there before I was headed out. But, you know, both Derek and James are avid hunters, and they're hiking fools. And they've been all around the Olympics, all around Washington State, and, and multiple states. Maybe, uh, you know, through his head he imagined that, you know, hey, maybe they've seen something like this. This is unknown. Maybe they could explain it. And he reached out to them, and, you know, subsequently, you know, uh, it's, it's still unknown. And we've been fortunate to have the, the area behind lock gates to study for five years now but uh no it is interesting that he remembered Derek. but it must have been that big of an impression in his mind to think of Derek and to to uh think about these nests and maybe the implications as to what they may be because he recognized obviously 
that these were not simple nests, that something intelligently had built these and were constructed, and he had never seen anything like this. And that is as compelling as it gets. I mean, it's that to me is amazing. And it also quenches a lot of conspiracy theories when they say uh, that, uh, you know, the, the timber companies, and maybe maybe there are some timber companies out there, maybe there are some groups out there, government, whatnot, that are aware, I don't know, but this particular one felt compelled enough to reach out to a non-academic person that it has a, you know, that left an impression with him 12 years ago, whatever, you know, being Derek Randall's, to share this discovery and not try and hide it. I mean, they, this guy could have just gone, wow, this is crazy weird. Uh, we're going to log this area, and that would have been the last of you. Never would have heard of it. And maybe that's happened before. I don't know, but not here, not now. And and here we are going forward with the research. So having visited the site and knowing the context uh, of the nesting area, is is it giving you ideas, new uh, insight as to to what to look for? Chris, if you want to answer first. Yeah, I well, I was going to go – go back to some of the stuff you guys were just discussing you know what what point what comes to mind for me is it is the perfect storm in the fact that the gentleman that found these nests found them when they were relatively fresh um, how many times has a timber surveyor gone out there and maybe stumbled upon nests like these but they already nature's already started to reclaim them um great point it is the perfect it is the perfect storm because these nests were not only found, but they were found in a fresh state. Uh, the target subjects obviously had vacated already, but they were made the, the year they were found, and that's what's so impressive. You know, here we are two-plus uh, years later, and you can tell that the, the nests are degraded because that's what happens in nature, and I, I even mentioned it, it before Um Basically, in another couple of years, you won't even know there was anything there. But that's what's cool to me is the, the guy found a very fresh site, and that does not happen very often. And like Shane said, there have been several incidences where uh, nests like these have been found by other timber agents. Prince of Wales Islands, perfect example, in 1988, a timber agent doing the exact same thing this guy was doing, found a nest which happened to be built with huckleberry bushes, almost identical to what you guys have. So, you know, it, it happens, but I, it's just very rare. And, I, you know, we all, me and Gunnar kind of talked about this before. There's not a lot of these guys out there. So it's, it's incredibly fortunate that this happened. It was a perfect storm. Because I don't, I think there are other nests like these in different areas, and maybe out of different materials, but in areas that have really no access to human beings, no reason for human beings to be in there, but a lot of food. There's probably nests like these, but they go back to nature before any per- person walks on the ground and sees it. Exactly. But, if it had been 25, if they, if the bir- if it has to do with birthing, I and I again, it's. I, I like to speculate, and I, I about what the reason for, you know, this would I love be. Your hy- I love that hypothesis, by the way. That's my personal opinion, anyway. So, and that's, you know, if it had been 25 years ago, they wouldn't have been found for because. And how many times have they nests been built in that area? 
because they were built with mm-hmm. a purpose. The area was picked with a purpose, you know, that this was a highly defensible, highly uh, easy food access. They didn't have to go too far. And it's interesting is that there's, you know, additional nests that kind of radi- out, radiate out on other fingers of this ridge, but there's one area where there's appears to be eight. It had to be somebody showed up at the right time and contacted somebody that had an interest in, in looking at it and taking it. You know, there could have been some Yahoo that had gone in there and not not Derek in the Olympic project. Um, who knows what have happened with it? Or, like, or I mean, Gunner, what, what mm-hmm. would happen if, if, if this guy had not known Derek or known anybody involved in right, the subject? Exactly. Would he have just passed on to his superiors and that would have been the end of it? Man, right. I, I couldn't imagine because I, I do think this is such an extraordinary find. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I was just going to mention also, you know, there's millions of acres in Washington State that are totally, completely controlled by timber companies. And, you know, if something else has been found in the past, I doubt it gets out to the public. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I and, and honestly, how many of these guys, you know, this guy, because he knew Derek, recognized the significance of what he found. But how many guys go out there or don't know anything about Bigfoot, don't care about Bigfoot because it's not part of their psyche. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not like in their brain. Like 99% of the population, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they right. find these unusual nests, and it's just like, well, I got to tie a ribbon around this tree so they don't log this too close to the creek, and I want to get out of here because I'm tired. Oh, this is interesting. May tell a buddy or whatever, but no, that that's, you know, for people to say, why aren't we finding more of these nests. Well, it's because these nests are not where people find them, and the people that would find them don't necessarily report them. Yeah. I mean, if I was a timber guy, and I at very least, whether there's a conspiracy, you keep it quiet or whatever, There, there's kind of a financial incentive for, for timber companies to not have a large bipedal primate running around the woods prove it. And you can see... Oh, there you say I mean, it's an easy <laughs> argument that that there may look what the what happened with the spotted owl. You you put a primate out there, then all of a sudden they're going to shut the you know the possibility of. Yep. I, I and even it doesn't even have to be factual. You just have to think that wow, if we you know if there's a a bigfoot out there, what would happen to the timber industry? Most people that I talk to think that it would be shut down. You know, would that be the case? I don't know. I mean, it's I you know that's the argument that we need to. Um, be taking care, better care of the forest. Well, we should be doing that anyway because we already know there's animals out there that need that habitat. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Um, the, so is this? I mean, is there something that is there something that you can take from your visit to this site that you can take back to your research area or or areas that you have you know have looked at and and try to replicate? Uh, absolutely. Having the knowledge and having been to the site now, I I have more clues to look for when I go into other areas. Um, you know, in my, my area, that I have two main recording areas where I've had stuff happen, but my hypothesis in both those areas is uh, the target subjects are just moving through. They're not hanging out there for long periods of time unless there's like a drought, like X1 2015, there was a drought 
there's lots of springs there. So, of course, they hung out there more like all the animals did. But I can't apply it to the areas I'm in right now. But in the future, because I plan on being out in the woods a lot in the future, now I have more information to look for, and I know a little bit better about areas like this that I'm probably going to investigate more, maybe put a little more effort into getting into areas that I wouldn't have gone to before. So, Go ahead. I mean, I wanted to talk about what Chris found while we were out there, that we kind of stumbled yeah, upon something that. that was... Yeah, I just Chris, I wanted to ask ahead, Rebecca this... I'm going to ask Rebecca the same question here. You know, I mean, yeah. what could she take away from this area, you know, in, in regardless if Sasquatch made these nests or not? You know, there's other nests like this. Something's making them. What, Rebecca, what could you? What did you take away from this area that really stuck out in your mind, you know, in future explorations and some of the other research areas that you travel to in research? I'm definitely going to be looking now for some of the same setup with, with terrain and everything, but I think it's fascinating seeing there in C because there's been pictures of what the nests looked like originally and that just to see the different stages of them decomposing and so if I stumble across something that's similar, I can know that it's, oh, this might be several years old, it's, you know, two and a half, three years old from the way this looks. Gosh, it seems like they were all at the base of large trees with expansive areas of huckleberry and the water source was right there where you didn't have to go far at all. The defensive position, um, I'm sure in different areas it's going to be different plant growth. You're going to have probably it won't be huckleberry, but I'm definitely going to be keeping my eyes peeled now for all those yeah. little, little things that stood out. Even just, I thought it was fascinating, some of the um, some of the trees around the nest, some of the small saplings and things were either bent and pushed away or just pushed over out of the way just to kind of create some space or even just maybe not have sharp ends sticking out into the the nest area, just kind of create a safe area to relax without (laughs) sticking yourself. I'm wondering now if I'm going through brush and see something like that's a little out of the ordinary, just look around a little more. Yeah, yeah, and I'll point out too that there is a lot of salal in this area, you know, ground cover, a ton of it, and a ton of lichen, and the thing about lichen that I've been really looking into is it's something that primates, you know, gorillas will uh, eat. There's tons of moss and lichen, and that's something, another food source we don't really think about that's plentiful here specifically in the Pacific Northwest as a possible food, abundant food source. You know, I don't know what Sasquatch eats. We can we can guess, <laughs> but it's just another thing that, to look at it, that's plentiful in these areas, especially you know these nesting areas. You know the, the lichen and the uh, the huckleberry and the salal. Uh, aside from all of the ungulates and and rodents and everything else that's out there. So, no, that's great points, Rebecca. And and I know Gunnar was going to bring up that uh, a point here. You know, uh, yeah, Chris no. has such a keen eye. He found a very interesting impression uh, out there that you know uh, we find impressions and, and usually most of them, most of them are explained. There has been interesting impressions in this general area found before, and Chris found one uh, just this past weekend that when I had got my eyes on it, I was I was I, I was impressed. It, it it was a genuine impression. Something had stepped there, and it was the size. Chris, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, if you make me. <laughs> Sorry. Going to make uh, Chris. <laughs> we'll twist your arm. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> you know I call them ambiguous tracks. I've 
found a number of them in my area at different times of the year. And they're unusual because they're foot-shaped and they're usually a lot larger than human. This, uh, what caught my eye, basically, we had stopped to take a little rest. And it was actually right below, it was like the third finger or so from the primary side, I believe. And we were just right below the line where the huckleberry started, and there's two nests on point right up there. We weren't far from it, but there was a game trail that came around, and I just saw this side hill impression, something with a lot of weight, stepped down, and what caught my eye was the heel. The heel stood out to me. I mean, it was not I, – I kind of debated with myself, now, maybe we should have cast that. I don't know. There wasn't any real toe definition, but the heel really caught my eye, and it was 17 and a half by 8 inches. So right. kind of matches uh, a lot of the tracks cast in the past um, for our target subjects. So, well, I mean, when well, you got the, in there and looked at it, it looked also like the possibility of toes had went down the, yeah. Talk- the in the front. And the opposite end of where the heel would have been. So it, it did have some interesting it, – it was worth uh, looking at maybe. The, and Cliff Barrickman would probably kick us in, in the butt for not having cast it. Well, and that's what's <laughs> kind of getting me now is because the, the heel caught my eye, but there was also that break in the middle. There was, there was right. a mid-tarsal break in it, which I look for that now. And there there was definitely that – break between the heel and the toe section. So I you know, I don't know. It's an ambiguous track, yeah. but it was it, it was in an area that's got a you know, aside from the nest, I know the OP's done some a lot of uh, audio recording in there and they've gotten David Ellis has gotten suspect sounds in there and other tracks have been found in the area. So, you know, we can have we hypothesize there's Sasquatch in the area, and we find this ambiguous track with a really nice heel and what I think is a mid-tarsal break. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Possible you know, it was toes, it yeah. was ambiguous. It, it was ambiguous, and it would have been quite honestly quite hard to cast. It was a possible maybe, right. um, but it was going along. Uh, it looked like it was going uphill along this this game trail that's heavily used. And I'll add this to to the thing when people go well. Are, are Sasquatch still using the nest? Are they still going in the area? Well, I don't think they're going into the nesting area, but I think, quite honestly, that uh, via some re, you know sightings and uh, some of the vocals recorded, uh, this area historically has a lot of all of that uh, vocals, sightings. I think that you know it's quite possible Sasquatch is around the area, just not visiting the the, the nesting site. Could be an individual. I don't know, but that size impression that you discovered uh, kind of fits in parameter with some of the other past impressions found in a lot of ways and that I found to be impressive because it matched right up with some other impressions found in the area now like I said this uh, area has had a lot of sightings not I'm, I'm not talking about the nest area but adjacent the general area it's got a history Derek Reynolds and his wife you know traveling this area saw something very interesting in this area and uh, there's been other sightings and other cats found in some of the lakes around the lakes so 
do I think Sasquatch is in the area? I really do. I do. It's got a long-standing history, and uh, it's something that I take into account. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, I was just going to add one more thing. You know, that that creek and that ravine, that's where all the animals are going to travel. And I think some of your game camera pictures show that, that the animals are traveling down closer to the creek because up on the ridge, the thickness of the huckleberries is just ridiculous. So where that track was found is where I'd expect the target subjects to be traveling, well, up above yeah. the creek and – it's anyways. It's just yeah, added. No, you're absolutely right. No, it's fun. That's, you're absolutely right. What we do, we like to get together and and uh, talk about you know stuff. I I did want to mention that uh, how it can you know when you're out there, it it's uh it can get kind of dicey as as uh, I had a near miss with a I pointed stick coming down one of the the slopes <laughs> there, which would have which. Had I, I made contact with it, would have been most unfortunate, um, and may have required uh, to, a visit to the proctologist. But uh, <laughs> we had we had had an incident where we you know we're going up the hillside, and all of a sudden we hear Todd Hale kind of yell out, and <laughs> Shane, you immediately recognized what was happening, and you know we all turned around and, and Todd cooked quite Todd? a flight. Todd took quite a flight. Uh, I mean, he probably, I was guessing like 15 feet that he flew through the air and landed yeah. on his back. Easily. Back, uh, he yeah, and it was, yeah, he, he basically stepped on a, a log. It, it crumbled, and he just went, he said he, he just was uh, looking up at the sky waiting to for the impact. And fortunately, we're all happy that, that, Todd was not injured. He he had the wind knocked out of him, but you know it so it would have been so easy for that to be end badly. So when you're well, out there, you know, please take caution. Yeah, and uh, I mean, but but that, here's the it, thing. Here's yeah. the thing with that though, real quick. First of all, that's a that's a, a bad place to be in. Uh, I love Todd Hell to death. He's a, he's fantastic in the woods. He's a trooper. He's got a keen eye and a great sense of humor. Oh my gosh, uh, somebody I love to be on the woods with, and I know he's going to listen to this show. He's going to listen to this show and go, oh, dang it, they're talking about that. But you know what? You know what? There's those that have fallen and those that will. Um, you guys saw me eat it a good once out there. I did. Uh, it's one of the things that. Yeah, yeah, we we all fall. Todd just happened to do the ultimate fall, and it's one of those things where, you know, it was towards the end of the day. We're all tired. We all bushwhacked. We were just beat, and that's usually when accidents happen. And me being up at the top of the hill, I think I heard him a little better, and I recognized that sound when he said what he said as he was falling backwards. I recognized via the sound he was uh, shouting that the sound was getting further away. <laughs> so uh, he was falling. I realized that where's, where's yeah. Todd Hale. Uh, but you know what, man, I, I guarantee he probably went to work, you know, uh, Monday and was sore, but he'll be back at it. Guaranteed. He's back. He's, I just talked to him just a couple of days ago and he's super excited, super stoked to get back out there. He's excited about the nest. He's excited about what the future holds with him. And, uh, you know, uh, well, it's you know, got to be careful. Talking, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Todd's pretty laid back. Oh. Yeah, so we're gonna have Todd. I want Todd has I a unique to set up game yeah. cameras around him. So yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Todd, we're going to have Todd on a on a future show because he has a unique perspective on another Bigfoot incident that that is widely known, but he's, his participation in it is not widely known. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. it, that's one of the cool things about this for me is getting out. Because, Chris, I, I respect what, what you guys do because of your dedication and the way the process that you use to vet evidence and and stay in an area, and the, how much how much effort that it takes to go out and consistently canvas and monitor not just one but several areas through audio and and setting camera traps. And when you have something unusual, you are not you know out there trumpeting it on on Facebook for the public to see and, and declaring, you know, that you're the biggest, greatest Bigfoot hunter in, that ever has <laughs> been. But you, but you, your dedication is, in my, my estimate is better than, you know, way more than 90% of folks that, that claim to be researching. Not that there's not some great researchers out there, but I, I have a great appreciation for your, your dedication and, and that goes along with Rebecca too. You guys are, are spending a lot of time in the woods and and doing it the right way, you know, going out and, and collecting and building on the the databases exist. So I think I thank you guys. We're getting close to running out of time. Actually, I think we ran over, which is great because that it's it's always good for me when a show goes and and we can't we have a hard time stopping because because we're having a good time <laughs> talking about the subject. This I, is why I do Monster X anyway to get together with friends well, and talk about Bigfoot. I I appreciate that, Gunner. And you know, Re- Rebecca has recently started helping me a lot, and she is way more patient than I am, and she finds things <laughs> in the woods that I probably would just stomp right over. So, I I mean, I I'm really I I'm just we're just nature hiking and trying to trying to learn and Rebecca's taught me a lot out in the woods. I'm really good at finding elk and recording owls. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, well, Chris and Rebecca, thanks for for joining us. We are out of time. We know that we're going to have you back on again. We really appreciate the your input into this subject and you sharing your research with us here on Monster X Radio. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you oh, for thank having you. us. Shane, you too. Thanks for joining us today on Monster X Radio. Thank you for joining Monster X Radio.